Lord bless you. Happy Resurrection Sunday. We just had worship in here, and I'll tell you what an anointing it was. We're praying for you out there and have a message from the Lord for you to encourage you. Uh, the title of this message is He's Alive, and Jesus is alive today. So God bless you. We're going to just pray, and I'm going to begin to deliver the word. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you this morning, this time where we celebrate your resurrection, Lord, that you are alive. And this message means so much to us right now because it's uh, you being alive in our hearts, giving us everything we need in this season that sustains us. And so, Father, be glorified in this and encourage people, Lord, that uh, maybe are just reeling right now and, and can't get their balance. Lord, I pray that this message from your heart, Father, would just encourage everyone within the sound of my voice. And I pray that in Jesus' name. So Luke 24 is the first text that I'm going to read to you today. Luke 24, verses 2 through 9, talking about Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. He is alive. Luke 24 says this, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. As the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, listen, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest." So here's the scene at the tomb, and Jesus is not there, and angels are testifying about where he is. He's not here. They say, why do you seek the living one among the dead? You know, and the truth is, as we talk about him being alive, most of us don't like to be around dead things. Can I hear an amen? And the truth is that the Jews weren't allowed to be around dead bodies, dead things, unclean things. There were a lot of rules about that, but most of us prefer not to be around dead things. You know, I'd rather be a doctor than a mortician. Can I get an amen? I'd rather be a farmer than a butcher. I'd rather work with the elderly than work at a cemetery because living things are exciting. So the angel asks a pretty good question here in Luke 24. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? And that is a great question. So much of what passes for spirituality in our world today has no life in it. Amen. God's word warns us about spiritually dead things. It warns us about dead religion, and that's man's system of approaching God. It's all about rules and regulations. James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. The Bible warns us about dead works. You say, what are dead works? They're spiritually unpredictable. They're spiritually unproductive things that religious people do to make themselves feel spiritual. Uh, Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works 
to serve the living God, amen? We go from doing dead works to doing works that glorify Jesus. So he talks about dead religion in the scripture. He talks about dead works. What about dead rituals where you just go through the motions? There are some churches where it's all about symbolism over substance. Just go through the motions. Just go through the ritual. You don't have to really get saved and repent of your sin. You could just go through a ritual. You don't really you know, have to get filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit. You can just go through a ritual. Uh, John 4, 21 through 23, Jesus says to a woman, listen, he says, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Listen to what he says. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Wow. The Bible warns us about dead things, dead religion, dead works, dead rituals. And the truth is, the reason God is so opposed to dead things, are you ready for this? He's a living God. The reason God is so opposed to dead things is because Jesus is alive. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a live God. Now, some churches act like he's dead, and they say, well, you know, the Bible's not to be taken seriously. It's just a collection of stories to make you a better person. Some Christians act as if God is dead, that we don't pray, we don't believe, we don't think God will move, and we don't think the gifts of the Spirit are still active, and that people can change. And uh, listen, there are many who say they are spiritual who are not connected to God through the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about dead things today. You say, why are you talking about dead things? Because he's alive. The infamous existential philosopher uh, Friedrich Nietzsche had the audacity to declare that God was dead. (laughs) Nietzsche's philosophy said that God was incompatible with the dignity of man. Now, to us who are Christians and realize we're sinners saved by grace, that's insanity because man has no dignity in his sinfulness apart from the redemption that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Someone say amen. But Nietzsche said, God is incompatible with the dignity of man, that God and his son are synonymous with death and suffering. So the death of God, said Nietzsche, was the key component to man's liberation. This is existentialism. God is dead, declared Nietzsche, and now the superman could live as if God was holding man back instead of restoring man and what he lost through his sinfulness. On August 25th, 1900, at the age of 55, Friedrich Nietzsche died from complications of syphilis. God is still alive. God is still on the throne. God is still moving in his church, and God is still moving in the hearts of his people. Someone say amen. Amen. Come on, our God is alive this morning. Jesus is alive. Jesus is not in the ground. He's gone. He's just a memory. The Father's not dead. He's alive. Listen, God was not the great I was. He's the great I am. The Holy Spirit's not dead. He's moving. He's alive. He's moving in the church. He's moving through God's people. Uh, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and certainly Jesus is not dead. That's the point of the whole drill today. He's risen. That tomb is empty, amen? The women showed up there, and guess who wasn't there? Jesus. And guess what the angel said? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Luke 24 verses 36 through 47, is our main text today. Uh, And it says this, 
While they were telling these things, he himself, speaking of Jesus, stood in the midst of them and said, peace be to you. So here are the disciples and they're gathered and Jesus in their mind is gone. He's dead. Yet he just shows up and he, he, he kind of crashes their little party there. He says in verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Listen to verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Wow, what a moment for the disciples. Could you imagine? They, they thought he was dead. They thought he was gone. They had forgotten what he'd said. And he shows up, crashes their little party, and he says to them, check me out. I'm alive. See my nail-scarred hands? See my feet? It's me. Then he eats in front of them. You know, uh, spirits don't eat. This might come as a disappointment to some of us who are headed for heaven, but we don't, Jesus is alive. He, he's showing them he's alive and all of this speaks to us today. Listen, because he's risen and he's alive, he was alive enough to walk with them, to talk with them, to eat and drink with them, to fellowship with them, to have a physical body. Jesus is physically risen from the grave. Because he's alive, he can offer mankind three things that only he can offer. Jesus offers mankind, all of us, everyone who draws breath, he offers these three things. And the first is this, only Jesus can offer the hope of eternity in the presence of God. There's a part of all of us, church, that will live forever. Yes, we have bodies. Yes, we have spirit and soul and all those things. But there is a part of us, because we're made in the image of God, that when these bodies break down and our heart beats its last and we take our last breath, we are not going to be dead and gone. We're going to be alive because that part of us will live in eternity somewhere. Now, Jesus offers the hope of eternity in God's presence. Look at verse 39 here in our text. He says, see my hands and feet. Now, what was the deal here? Jesus, you know, just reappears. They're shocked, but he directs them right away. Look at my nail-scarred hands. Look at my nail-scarred feet. Why would he direct them to, to, to take a look at the physical marks of the cross that he bore on his body? Because he wanted them to know it was really him. Listen, yes, Jesus suffered on that cross. We all know his suffering, what he went through to break the power of sin. His nails, uh, the nails that pierced his hands and feet, those scars will be with him forever. They show what he did on the cross. He suffered for us. Yes, Jesus died. Those women, they prepped his body for burial. They knew very well that he was dead. They put the ointments on him and the, all of the spices and they wrapped him according to the Jewish cultural custom 
customs and they knew for sure that he was dead. They laid him in a borrowed tomb. There was no doubt that he suffered. There was no doubt that he died. And listen to me, there's no doubt that he rose again. Do you know there were enough eyewitnesses to the resurrection that you could prove it in a court of law? Do you know that the disciples would rather die uh, uh, the death of a martyr? Some of them, you know, were tortured. Some of them crucified upside down. They would rather die that way than deny that they had seen the risen Christ. Certainly, he is risen. Certainly, he is alive. You say, well, what's the point of all that? The point is this. We now have a hope that when we die, we will live too. That's a good thing, right? I mean, I don't know how I, don't know how I could live thinking, you know, when I die, I go into the ground and that's it and it's over. In fact, that would mess up a lot of us in the way we would spend our days. Jesus offers us this hope. You know, really what I want you to understand here is the fact that Jesus died and he rose bodily and he had those nail-scarred hands and he proved to them who he was, that he appeared to so many people that the disciples would rather die horrible deaths than deny they had seen him. Listen, all of that serves to, to, for us as a prototype of what we can expect when we die. Jesus was a prototype. He was the first resurrected soul to return from earth and go to the Father. Listen to what Colossians 1.18 says. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. Listen, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Jesus's death and resurrection was a prototype for us to, to have hope. He was the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? That he's showing us that, you know, we now have the hope of a resurrection and to live in God's presence for eternity. Now, I want you to understand something. Before Jesus died and rose again, there was no hope of going into God's presence when you died for eternity. Now, if you sat in my church for any amount of time and you've heard me teach on this, you understand not even the best of God's servants went right into God's presence when they died in the Old Testament. In fact, in Luke 16, 23 through 25, the Bible teaches that the righteous dead did not go into God's heaven and stand in his presence when they died. All the Old Testament saints and Moses and David and uh, Joshua and all, all of these guys, they went to a place that theologians call Abraham's bosom. And in Luke 16, verses 23 through 25, we get a description of Abraham's bosom. It says, in Hades, he, this was a sinful man that had died, in his sins and had rejected the goodness of God. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. There's where they get the idea of, of uh, Abraham's bosom. So, and he cried out to them, this sinful man, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. What we see here is a picture in Luke of uh, a great divide there. There was a, a place where the righteous dead were held, Abraham's bosom, a chasm set between, and then a place where the unrighteous dead were in Hades, which is translated hell. So we see this place that even the righteous dead in the Old Testament didn't wind up right in God's presence when they died. 
Now understand, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, what he did is he liberated captivity. Now he has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Because of what Jesus has done, because he's alive, when you and I die, when we close our eyes here on earth and take our last breath, we will take our first breath in eternity if we belong to Jesus. Come on, that's good news. That's good news today. What a work Calvary has done for us. What a work Jesus has done. Only he can offer the hope of eternal life in God's presence. Number two, the second thing Jesus offers to us, uh, the hope of eternity in God's presence. What What a great thing. I can't wait for that day. The Bible teaches us to live as Christ and to die as gain. When you're a believer, you understand that. (laughs) And the older you get, you begin to yearn for that. Why? Because everything the world has to offer, while it's good, is nothing in comparison to what the presence of God for eternity has to offer us. The second thing Jesus offers us is the possibility of real change. Verse 45 says that as he was speaking to them, he opened up their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. See, and you see that what happened there, he allowed them to see, he opened up their minds and the, 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 the fact that they had sight and saw what the scripture really meant and that it was fulfilled in Jesus allowed them to experience real change. Now, change is something that all of us need to entertain in life. If we're sitting out there today, if you're listening to this and you think, well, I, you know, my life is you know, perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. That, that's kind of a shaky place to be. All of us are in process, say amen. And change is part of the Christian experience. We have to pass from uh, darkness into light, from death into life. There has to be a change there. That's what the Bible teaches us. You know, some people don't think they need to change. Maybe before you came to Christ, you thought, well, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. People hope God that gr- God grades on a curve. Well, I'm pretty good compared to all the people I know. I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be in the top. God doesn't grade on a curve. We're either lost or we're found. We're either born again or we're still in our sins. We're either uh, under the blood of Jesus or we are outside of a relationship with the Father because we've said no to Christ. So some people think, well, I don't need to change. So change becomes impossible for people like that. Some people say, well, I don't want to change. Have you, have you ever met someone like that? Or maybe you've been like that. Well, I know I'm wrong. I know I'm doing the wrong stuff. I know I'm having the wrong results, but uh, you know, I don't want to change. And the Bible teaches the pleasure of sin. You know, it's pleasurable for a season. And so some, I don't want to change. People who don't think they need to change, people who don't want to change, change becomes impossible for those people. Some people insist, well, I know I need to change, but I'll change myself. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that, then change becomes impossible for that person. Why? Because we can't change ourselves. We can't, uh, we can't satisfy the, the price tag of sin on our lives. We can't change our habits. So I said, well, I have a lot of willpower. I don't know about you, but I've never been able to address the deep spiritual issues of my life and bring change by my own hand to myself. It's always been God that has changed me. So, the possibility of real change is an incredible gift that he offers to us. We all know people who say they've changed and haven't. In fact, if we're being honest, there's times where we've said that we've changed. And do you ever notice in life, sometimes we declare victory too soon on a thing? Come on. 
You know, oh, I've changed only to slip back into, you know, and here's the, here's the reason that that happens. People say they've changed and then we discover they haven't. We declare I've changed and then we slip back. What's the issue here? The thing is this, any real, lasting, deep, internal spiritual change re- requires conversion. Conversion. We need to be converted. We need to have the hand of God touch us. Here's a Bible uh, dictionary definition of conversion. Conversion is a decisive act in which a sinner turns away from sin, genuinely repents, and accepts salvation offered by Jesus Christ. The imagery of conversion is that of turning away. A person realizes they're going down the wrong road and that they'll never reach the right destination going in that direction. So the person turns and is converted. They stop going in the wrong direction and they start going in the right direction. Conversion will always change the trajectory of a person's life. We need to be converted if we are to be changed. And so you say, well, how does that happen? It only happens by the grace of God as the Holy Spirit draws us. Come on, you're quiet out there. It only happens by the grace of God. Well, I, you know, people who have religious pride, well, I was just, you know, I was, I was born saved. No, all of us, all of us had to come to that place where we yielded to the beckoning of the Holy Spirit as he drew us. And, and maybe he's drawing you today. Maybe he's calling you today. And he's saying, come. And, and there's change there. But pastor, I've tried to change. I've tried to listen. You can't do it. I can't do it. But with God, nothing is impossible. Jesus offers real change. Here's the great news no matter how mixed up or confused or broken we get in life, Jesus can change us in an instant when he opens up our minds. Look what it says there. They didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it. They didn't remember what he said. They, all they knew is they were suffering and they, they had lost Jesus. And now here he is standing in front of them. And he's like, didn't you remember what I said? And, and finally, the scripture says there in, in 45, it says that he opened up their minds so that they could understand you see, that's what happens in our lives when we come to Christ and we confess that we're sinners and then he, we allow him to be our savior. What he does is he opens up our minds. Come on, if you know Jesus and you've been converted, you know that you, know, you once were blind and now you see things that you used to think were right, you see how wrong they are. Things that you used to be, you know, uh, ordinary to you, now you understand why, because the spiritual eyes are opened. When Jesus opens our eyes, we can really change. There was a man that once purchased a radio and he brought the radio home and he, he plugged it in and he tuned it into 77 WSM, the Nashville station for the Grand Old Opry. He tuned it in in his living room perfectly and then he broke all the knobs off the radio. <laughs> He only wanted to hear that station. He tuned it into all he wanted to hear. He never wanted to change, and he didn't even want the possibility of it being changed. Listen, don't do that in life. Don't ever get so set in a rut that you break off all the knobs and you don't even entertain the possibility of change. Don't do that. Stay open to newness. Stay open to the improbable and the impossible because the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all of those things a real possibility. Are you stuck in a rut today? Jesus offers you real change. How does it happen? Through conversion. He'll open your spiritual eyes so that what you couldn't see, you now can see. And things will begin to make sense 
and fall in line in your life. So Jesus offers us the hope of eternity in God's presence. Jesus offers us the possibility of real change. And number three, I close down with this. Only Jesus can offer us the gift of salvation. That's what it's all about today. Jesus died and he rose, why? To break the power of sin so that we could be saved. He loved us so much that he left his father's side and in obedience he came. He was born of a virgin. He, he, he grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. He preached and he taught and he shared the word and he shared the love and he, he took some disciples. And then what did he do? He offered himself on a cross for our sins. And by that act, by Calvary's cross, by what was accomplished there, he offers us the gift of eternal life. Verse 47 of our text says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we repent, our sins are forgiven, and then what? He offers us the free gift of eternal life. Now listen, salvation is the central theme of Easter, amen? That's what it's all about. Listen, Jesus came to save us. He lived to save us. He died to save us. And he rose to save us. He is alive. <laughs> the truth is, only Jesus can offer us salvation. And here's why. Only Jesus died in our place. No one else died for your sin. No one else came and said, you know, I'm going to die. No other religious figure, no other spiritual leader, no other religious system where the son of God came and said, I'm going to die in the place of sinners on the cross. I'm going to satisfy the legal requirements of the law for sin and I'll do it in your place. And all you've got to do is accept me and your sins will be forgiven. No one else did that for us, but Jesus only Jesus purchased our redemption on the cross. Only Jesus rose from the grave. And when he did, he broke the power of sin. He broke the power. Sin had dominion over us. Everyone that was born of a woman was born in original sin and died in sin. And we know from what I just shared, Old Testament saints, even the godly ones could not enter into the presence of God. Why? Because the cross had not been completed. The blood of Jesus had not been shed. The power of sin had not been broken. But one once he did break the power of sin, once he did rise again from the grave, amen, once he did the veil of the holy of holies was torn in two, now what separated God and man, the legal ramifications of that were satisfied in Jesus Christ. Woo. So now he offers us salvation and only Jesus can offer us salvation. Boy, our world likes to obscure the true message of Easter, doesn't it? They make it all about religious traditions and high holidays and, uh, you know, religious traditions that we, we do this and we do that. And, you know, or they make it about symbolism, pagan symbolism of eggs and rabbits and chocolate and fertility gods. You know, none of that's in the Bible. You know that, right? You say there's no chocolate bunnies in the Bible. No chocolate bunnies in the Bible. That's just paganism. That's just symbolism of, of, you know, other cultures that have morphed into, you know, this religious celebration here that has nothing to do with what the scripture says about Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us even to celebrate Easter. We do it as an opportunity to tell people about the resurrected Christ to tell people about what Jesus did on the cross and to tell the world he is risen. He's alive. Acts 4, 11 through 12, addresses this misdirection. Jesus said, 
No, the scripture says here, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. Why does the world miss it? Why does the world obscure it? Why does the world focus on fairy tales and myths and religious tradition and pagan symbolism? Here it is, because the world doesn't want to see the, the truth of the fact that Jesus rose for us so that we could be saved. They misdirect. The stone that you builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's not about eggs. It's not about rabbits. It's not about chocolate. It's about Jesus and the fact that he rose, and there's only one name under heaven where which we have been given that we can find salvation. Jesus offers us the free gift of salvation. And our heart as a church, my heart as a pastor, the heartbeat of every Christian is that they want everyone to know, listen, what we are celebrating today, what we're excited about today is that Jesus is alive. He's risen and he offers eternal life to anyone who call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons. Well, you know, he'd only come to save this group or only likes this group or only the people who are really the cream of the crop. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There, there's no, I've heard people all the time say, you know what, if I come to church, the roof will fall down. Let it fall down. It leaks anyway. Listen, come on in. Come on in because you know what? We're all sinners saved by grace. I've heard people say, well, you know, that, that works for everybody else, but I'm, you know, I'm too bad. There's no way. Listen, no one is beyond the reach of God's love. No one is beyond the reach of the power of the blood of Jesus. There's redemption found in Christ. There's salvation found in Christ, and he offers it to us freely. Please don't miss the most crucial part of verse 47. The, you know, we talk about forgiveness. We talk about redemption. We talk about salvation. The, the key to accessing all of that is repentance. Say repentance. Without repentance, we can't receive forgiveness. Without repentance, we can't have our sins blotted out. Without repentance, we can't be born again. Without repentance, we can't be saved. Look what the text says. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Repentance is the key. You say, well, what does that mean? Repentance is us turning away. It's, it's there again, turning away from the wrong direction and going in the right direction. It's conversion. It, it's us saying no to our sin and yes to the Savior. And when we repent, you know, repentance is not done by our own strength either. It's done by the Holy Spirit. The gift of repentance is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You, we can't say, well, you know what? I just, I just got sick and tired of the way I was living, so I repented, and God said, no, we're even drawn in that. We wouldn't even have the spiritual energy to do that without the Holy Spirit. Repentance is a gift. If Jesus is calling you to repentance today, if you're hearing this message and you're saying, Pastor, I'm hearing what you're saying. I recognize I'm a sinner. I need a savior. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you. And, and, and you're one prayer away. You're one confession away from conversion, from repentance that will lead you to salvation. God made it so easy. He's alive. And because he's alive, there's the hope of us spending eternity in God's presence. Because he's alive, there's the very real possibility of change in all of our lives. Because he's alive, he offers us the free gift of salvation if we'll repent and receive him. 
Let's bow our heads for just a moment. I want to pray a prayer today, a prayer that will break the power of sin over the lives of individuals and will usher us into a relationship with God. You say, how does that happen? It happens here because Jesus is alive, because he died and he rose again. And that if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. I want you to pray a prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner and I ask you to be my savior. I repent of my sin and I give my heart to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to live. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to welcome you to the family of God. I want to welcome you and rejoice with the angels of God because that prayer will change the trajectory of your life. You say, Pastor, it sounds too easy. It sounds too simple. God did all the heavy lifting (laughs) and he is alive. And because he's alive, he offers salvation to whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope that you're celebrating with your families. I hope that as you gather around the table today and, and you break bread together, that you'll remember the reason for this season is that Jesus is alive. I want to encourage you. We miss you here. I'm enjoying preaching to the worship team. They're getting the full force of it. You know, some of them got knocked out of the first row. That's okay. But, you know, I want to encourage you. We'll be together soon again. And until then, listen, keep your faith. Stay in the word. Stay in prayer. God is refining his people. He's giving us opportunity to repent and get our lives in order. He's giving us opportunity to set things in order where we've been distracted or we've been prayerless or we've been, you know, just busy with life. And he's giving us an opportunity to reset. So take advantage of that. And I want to encourage you, we'll be together soon enough. This too shall pass. And when we're together, again, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But keep your faith, uh, keep your spirit full, keep balancing your life. Tune in to fgcweb.org. Continue to listen to the messages. And if you have any needs, call the church. uh, See if we can help you in any way. Uh, We're going to be making more phone calls this week, checking on people. Continue the online giving. Continue to send in uh, finances. The church is doing well. I thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, We are looking forward to seeing you. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Be blessed. Enjoy your family. And what an amazing Savior we have. Rejoice today. Rejoice today. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.